uh, in the Haas household, we have a, uh, what we call like a Christmas bucket list, pretty much. Uh, and that's where we, as a family, we begin to look at what are the things we want to get done before Christmas? Because it doesn't feel like we're going to have enough time. You feel that tension of, we want to do all of this. We want to get all these things done. We want to make, and it's all fun stuff. It's all the good stuff. We want to make sure we do it all. And if we don't begin to write it down and we don't schedule it, there's no way we're going to get through all of them. Uh, so for example, we were up in Dahlonega on Friday night. And because we want to be able to do the North Georgia Christmas lights, go to Connie's and get ice cream. Like that's a staple in our household. Um, the Connie's is not just a Christmas thing. That's an often thing. Uh, but we love, love being able to see Christmas lights. In fact, Christmas lights make it, they, that, that topic makes it on our list multiple times. Uh, we've already been up to uh, Veterans Park in Cherokee County. Uh, you kind of go around their park several times. I mean, awesome lights, super fun. Do it in the van. The kids love it. Uh, we go to Ben King's house, who actually attends here, and he has his, his house that goes to the motion of songs and everything. So we love watching Ben's house. We'll go to Ashbrook later on this week and see if we can get through in under five hours. So it's, it's all the Christmas light fun. We all have the things that we love to do and we want to get through. And for us, Christmas lights is a big part of that. What's interesting about Christmas lights in general is we love the end result. Right? We love looking at Christmas lights, the joy that comes with Christmas lights. It's so much fun. As a family, we love enjoying them. We put them up. It's a lot of fun. But we often forget how that started. Right? It started with getting a bin out of your garage or attic and slowly pulling out the tangled mess of the lights. Right? And this, these are truly from my house. And the reason these are not on the house is because it was like, forget it. I don't want to mess with these anymore. What we have is fine. Um, instead of trying to get them all done. Because I'm like, just untangling these things is a nightmare, right? And in the midst of, like, I've never thought this. Maybe you're better than I am. But in the midst of trying to deal with all the tangled lights, get them out of the bin, rarely do I ever say, oh, but it's going to look so good when it's done, Oh, it's worth the deal. It's worth the hassle now. It's worth the tangled of lights now. It's worth the frustrations now. Oh, because it's going to be so much better later. Like, at least in my head, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I just shouldn't do this anymore. We're just going to cancel Christmas. It's not worth it whatsoever. That's the way it feels in the midst of trying to untangle a mess. And you know what goes first when you're dealing with a mess, when you're dealing with untangling lights or anything else in life? The first thing that usually goes is your gratitude. That's usually the first thing to go. When you're dealing with stressful situations, when you're in the midst of, of difficulty, when you're struggling, when you're experiencing loss, when you're dealing with a tangled mess, typically the first thing that goes is our heart and posture of gratitude, our thankfulness. It's very difficult to be thankful when you're just trying to untangle things when you're dealing with the mess of life. So that's what we're gonna do today. Not untangle. I don't know what you guys are currently trying to untangle, but I don't think I can help you with that one. But we all, we've all got it, right? I don't know what you've walked in with. I don't know what you are currently in the middle of. I don't know what messes you're having to deal with or are going to deal with this next week. But what we're gonna do today is be thankful. Being thankful requires us to slow down. You cannot be quickly thankful. Do you know that? You, you can't just, hey, yeah, 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 thanks, thanks. Like that kind of defeats the whole purpose and doesn't feel like gratitude at that point. True gratitude and thankfulness requires us to slow down and even in the midst of the mess, still be grateful and still be thankful. 
We've been going through the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke wrote his, what we would call his gospel, the accounts of Jesus. He wrote it so that we would be certain of the truth that we were told. That's the beginning part of chapter 1. We looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, how Gabriel told them what was going to happen in their life and how John the Baptist would pave the way for the birth of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the story of Mary and the truths that Gabriel told Mary about who Jesus is and who he will forever be. And her response was just beautiful. Remember, it was, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, yes. Whatever you need, whatever you call me to do, whatever happens, my answer is yes. We're going to continue with Mary's story in Luke chapter 1, but we're going to see Mary do what we are, are going to try to do today, to slow down and to pause and just be thankful. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, all the way through 55, and you'll notice it is a song. In fact, you'll even see a heading in, in most of your Bibles that'll say Mary's song of praise or Mary's prayer of praise. In other words, what we're going to be going through is Mary saying, I'm thanking God. I thank God, and here's why. And as we go through, almost verse by verse, you're going to see Mary be very specific on what she is thankful for, what she is praising God for, and the reason why. Now, the reason this is very helpful for us today is because, again, we're all dealing with the mess. Remember the context Mary was in. So yes, the angel Gabriel brought great news. Mary, the promise that God has given, that he's gonna send his son, Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully man. He has come to rescue, deliver, and save the world. And Mary, you get to be part of this plan. Like that's great news. Like we mentioned earlier, the news the shepherds heard, good news that will bring great joy to all people. All that is true. But even for Mary, that good news is still bringing about change. I mean, that news changed everything. And even if it's good news, and even if it's good changes, we know this, good news and good changes still cause stress, still cause worries, still start to feel like, well, what about, and how is this gonna work, and what is this gonna be like, and how's that? We begin to go through all the whatabouts and the what ifs and what nows. And I have to believe that Mary, even though she said, yes, I'm the Lord's servant, there's still a, an inner turmoil like the shepherds felt of, I am terrified about what is apparently gonna happen, but I'm also full of joy. I'm excited, but I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm excited for what God's gonna do and I believe in him and I trust in him, but I don't see how this is possibly gonna work out. I don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna tell Joseph this, she had to be thinking. How's my, how's my family gonna treat me? What's my community gonna say? Well, I don't know what I don't know. Like you could imagine the stress and the tension, the turmoil, the worries, all the unknowns and uncertainties that Mary is trying to untangle and unravel in the midst of good news. But still, she slows down long enough to be grateful. So maybe that hits home maybe a little bit with you of a lot going on and a lot of the family drama, experiencing loss and stress and financial and all the things that we untangle on a daily basis, let's not go so quick that we're ungrateful or we lose our posture of thankfulness. So if you've got your Bibles, chapter one out of Luke, starting in verse 46, let's just see what Mary is grateful for, what she's thankful for, and then let's follow her example. She begins in verse 46, Mary responded. Here's her prayer of praise, of gratitude. She writes, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So the opening line is my soul rejoices you. I praise you. The literal translation there is my soul magnifies the Lord. 
I magnify you. In the midst of all of the what ifs and in all the uncertainties and all the unknowns, instead of, which typically happens, at least in my life, I magnify my worries. I magnify my stresses. I magnify my problems because we focus so much on them. And what Mary does is the opposite. She says, yeah, there's a lot of things I don't get and I don't understand and I don't know how this is gonna work out, but instead of focusing and magnifying on the problem, I'm gonna magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies God. And then she says, why? Why is God her focus? It's that second line. Oh, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. There's a lot of things that we can be thankful to God for. There's a lot of ways and reasons to be grateful. Mary starts with the most important that he is our savior, that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so we can have the hope of eternity with him. He's our savior. He is a lot to us. But most importantly, he is our savior. And she begins there. She starts there. So that's where we're gonna start. As we see what Mary is thankful for, we are gonna transfer that into our own lives. So Mary was thankful. She praised God for being her savior. We wanna do the exact same thing. Could you slow down this week And thank God for saving you. Thank God for being your savior. Thank God for saving us. I love that Mary made this extremely personal. Like we're saying, thank God for saving us. She says, no, he's my savior. And in fact, the first several verses, you'll notice that that Mary is keeping this very personal between her and God. You'll see a lot of me's and my's. And then she'll turn the corner about halfway through and start to zoom out and talk about the world and the generations and those to come and and her ancestors. Like she'll zoom out. But at the very beginning, notice the, the personalization of this. My soul praises God. My soul magnifies. It's my spirit that rejoices, not the Savior, not your Savior, not even our Savior, but my Savior. And I love that she makes this so personal. Don't miss that. Don't miss that he came for you. He came for me. Keep it personal. Make it personal. But we have to make sure that we begin there. If we're gonna be grateful, if we're gonna have a thankful posture going into the Christmas, this last week before Christmas, we have to start there, recognizing he is our savior, the purpose of why he came. Then the the next line, verse 48 Mary said, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Again, very personal. He noticed me. He paid attention to me. He knows me. And on so many levels, this is what we all want. We all have this in us, the need to be noticed. We want to be seen. We want to be known Even if you're an introvert, which I have a lot of love for my introverts, right? I'm very different from you. I struggle on the other side. Sometimes I want to be noticed too much. But even for you introverts, you still want to be known just on your terms, right? You still want to be noticed, just not in a, I I get it. So it's, it's not a personality thing here. We are wired because we desire to be known and noticed, seen and heard. My youngest, uh, my, my daughter, Collins, she's a lot like me, which is cool at some points, but then a problem at some points, because she is like, hello world, here I am, and like me, struggles with wanting to be noticed maybe a little too much, 
but she hates being alone. She doesn't like being away from people. And uh, when I drop her off for, for Carla and for carpool, my neighbors and I, we go back and forth on who takes them to school. And so when I'll take Collins and, and the boys over next door, they're hopping in the car. Collins and, and I, it's like the same routine every Monday, Tuesday, get in the car, put in there. She's like, daddy, I'm going to miss you. And I'm like, mm, you know what? You don't need to go to school ever. You can just hang out with me all the time. Like, that's the way I want, that, that's what my heart says. I know I can't do that. And so then I say something along the lines of, I know I'm gonna miss you too, but hey, I'll think about you throughout the day. You're gonna have an awesome time, all your friends. And she's like, promise. And I'm like, yes, of course I'll promise. So that worked for a little bit. And then I don't know if she just didn't believe me or if something changed, but she no longer just would take my word for it anymore. So she started, well, it started out with Sharpies. We would write something on her hand. So she'd have a little heart on her hand. I'd do it on mine or Becky would have hers. Then she started making bracelets, making these bracelets just like this. Usually a color that I would not normally wear that doesn't match with my outfit. And um, so she gave me one of these. She says, dad, this one's yours today. I'm like, thank you very much, Collins. And she's like, and I have mine. And so every time you see your bracelet, you have to think of me. And I said, trust me, I will not think of anybody else when I'm looking at that hot pink bracelet or whatever color she gives me that day. You're the only one I'm gonna be thinking of, Colin. So yeah, you're good. And she's like, and dad, every time I see my bracelet, I'm gonna think of you. I said, well, that is sweet, but make sure you're paying attention to your teacher, doing what you're supposed to be doing and still doing all the other things, right? She wanted to make sure that she knew, she wanted to be confident that she knew that I was thinking of her, that it wasn't just out of sight, out of mind. And Mary points to that fact, that God notices us. God sees us, hears us, not just with us, but knows us. Psalm 139, the psalmist uh, David, he writes this and uses those words. Listen to how beautiful this is. Verse 17 out of Psalm 139. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. I mean, let that sink in. The God of the universe The God outside of time, creator of all things, thinks about you, that I am on his mind. And not just one time, his very next line, how precious are your thoughts about me, oh God, they cannot be numbered. It's not like he thought about you once and moved on. You cannot count the number of times that he thinks about you that you are on his mind. He sees you, he hears you, he notices you, he knows you. We wanna be known so desperately, it often leads us into some very unhealthy decisions, doesn't it? Unhealthy decisions, unhealthy relationships, all to fill the void of being known. And Mary makes it clear, God, thank you for knowing me, for noticing me. May we, like Mary, slow down this week And just recognize that and thank God for it. God, thank you for knowing us, for noticing us, for not being absent and distant, but thank God for noticing and knowing us. Little side note here. Notice how she refers to herself. She says, he has taken notice of this lowly servant girl, his lowly servant girl. This is not an exception to what we would maybe call as a principle of God's character here, an idea of God's character. In the Christmas story, we see this again and again. It's actually a theme where God uses the lowly and exalts them. Like I said, Zachariah and Elizabeth, an older couple that had no kids. Culturally, they would be considered lowly, yet God used them. He heard their prayers. That's what Gabriel said. God has heard your prayers. 
And he used them in an incredible way according to his plan. Mary, we're reading her story here. The shepherds, we've mentioned them several times already. Here they are kind of outcasts of society. But God chose the shepherds to be the one to carry the birth announcement of Jesus. But that's not just specific to the Christmas story. That is part of how God works. He notices us. What, what we would probably think of as the rich and the powerful and the influential and the prominent, those are the ones that deserve to be noticed. Those are the ones that deserve to be known. And if you want to be known, if you want to be noticed, if you want to be seen, if you want to be heard, then you need to be powerful or influential, rich, right? You would need to fit one of those categories. So what happens if you don't fit one of those categories? And what we see here, not just in the Christmas story, not just in Mary's story, but with God, is who the world ignores, God knows, and God takes notice. He takes notice of you, takes me, he sees us, and he hears us. Let's make sure we're thanking God for that. Verse 49, Mary goes on and says, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Now, let me walk you through. She's very, very intentional with her words here. Let me walk you through what she's actually pointing to. She begins by calling God the mighty one. So she's talking to his capabilities, his abilities. So he doesn't just know us and he doesn't just know our needs. He's actually able to do something about it. And that's what you want, right? If you're gonna follow God, it's not just, oh, I want you to know me and feel sorry for me. I want you to be able to intervene. I want you to be mighty enough and powerful enough to be able to do something about it, to provide and protect and to help in any way that you possibly can. So God, I, I need you to be the mighty one, not just the all-knowing one. So she points out he is mighty, he is powerful, nothing is over him. He is over it all. But then she ties in that word holy. The mighty one, he is holy. Now I've talked about this before, but it's a big church word that you really probably never say holy outside of church on a Sunday morning. And so we've got to make sure we know what that word means. Holy literally means set apart. So I brought something holy. This is a holy mug. The reason this is a holy mug is this mug in the Haas household can only be used for hot chocolate. It even says it right there. We did the whole Polar Express thing back in California years and years ago, and they gave the kids these hot chocolate mugs. So if you were to come into our house and want hot chocolate, the kids would go and get the hot chocolate mug. If you were to come into our house and say, I'd like a glass of water, don't even think about drinking water out of this. Like that's forbidden. You cannot drink anything out of this mug except hot chocolate. It is set apart to only be used when we're having hot chocolate. There's a lot of other cups and glasses that you can use for all kinds of other drinks. This is the one that is only used for hot chocolate. So in that sense, it's holy. It is set apart. So in scripture, when, when people are talked about being holy, so the people of God, we are called to, be, we are holy. He says, be holy. You're my holy people. What that means is we are set apart from the rest of the world. So we think differently. We act differently. We speak differently. We treat people differently. We prioritize our lives differently. We spend our money differently. Does that make sense? We are set apart from the rest of the world. Here's how the world does things. We are called to be holy. We are a holy people, so we are set apart, and we are different. In regards to when Scripture talks about the holiness of God, the holiness of God speaks to God being set apart, and no one is like him. No one is, in, is even in the same category as him. No one can touch him. No one can be close to him. He is completely set apart from anything or anyone else. He is holy. So when you take those two descriptions, 
that Mary is giving, she says he's the mighty one, he's capable, he's able, but he's also holy, he's perfect in every way, and no one is like him. Do you know what you get as a result when you are powerful, mighty one, and you're also perfect and holy? You get the goodness of God, the goodness of God. And that's what she says right afterwards. The mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. The goodness of God comes out when we trust his perfect will and his ability to do something about it according to his perfect will. It's God knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. It's God knowing what is good and then doing what is good because he can and he will. His motives are perfect. His plan is perfect. His thoughts are perfect because he is holy. So Mary's basically saying, Thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for being involved in my life. So let's do the same thing. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his his mightiness, his power, but also his holiness and his perfection, which shows up in our lives and in our world as his goodness. Psalm 106 says it this way, verse one and two. Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for he is good good. It's not that he just does good things. It's not that he just has good thoughts. It's, it's, no, he is good because he is mighty and able, but he's also perfect and holy. And so therefore he does good. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? We thank him for his goodness. Even in the midst of unraveling and untangling all the messes, we know that he is able. And we know that he is holy and perfect. Therefore, we know that he is good. And we trust him because of his power, but also because he is holy. He's done great things for me. Now, that section kind of wraps up her personalization of this song of praise. So far, it's been, he's my savior, and, and he's done great things for me. Look at, look at how he noticed me, and he knows me. Now she turns a corner and starts to zoom out to what God does for everybody else as well. Verse 50 He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Notice her progression here. This is is important. She starts with, he's my savior, right? We have to start there. We said that first things first, most important. He's our savior. We thank him for that. But then she begins to build on to that, that look at how he knows me and look at how gracious he is and look at how he's involved in my life. And then she says this, how merciful he is, his great mercy, So the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the perfect in every way, the most holy God is also merciful. Even though no one is like him, he still desires to be with us. Because sin has separated us from God, he sent his son so that we can have a restored and reconciled relationship with him. He still wants to be with us. Mercy. Now, the word that, that... Mary uses for mercy here is really important, so we need to talk about it. We're going to dig in just a little bit to that idea of mercy. Because depending on, honestly, even how you grew up and how you interact in relationships, mercy has some different tones to it. So for example, uh, remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong, you knew it was wrong, and parents found out about it, so then they call you, oh, we need to have a talk, Brian, we need to talk about what you did. So then I walk into the room and I do one of these, mommy, daddy, I'm so sorry. You do one of those, you know what I mean? right? I'll never do it again. And you do the little puppy dog look. And then depending on your childhood, uh, it might've gone maybe like this where it's like, 
oh man, I just can't stay mad at you. Okay, fine. But don't you do it again, right? Some of you, that's what mercy feels like. I'm cute enough to get away with it. That's how some of you have operated under mercy. Others of you, not so much. It doesn't matter how cute you are. You still did what was wrong and you're not getting anything out of it. Now, if you were cute to get out of it, some of you, you would do the wrong thing again and you would go back and you would do the exact, I'm so sorry, it was an accident. I really didn't mean to. And chances are good the second time around, no, 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 no. You got off the hook last time. Your cuteness is not gonna get you out of it. This time, you're still in trouble. And for, for a kid, that's very confusing. Well, I had mercy then. Am I not cute enough now? Like what changed? Why did I get mercy then and I didn't get mercy now? And if we're not careful, we begin to make mercy conditional. We begin to view God's mercy of us conditional on the mood of God, if he's feeling merciful today. We begin to add attachments to God's mercy of like, man, I really hope I haven't used all my mercy up. How, how much did I ask for mercy like last, oh man, last week was a rough week, so I better not ask this week. Do we think that it like compounds or that we can lose it? Does God ever get tired of giving mercy? I was like, oh my goodness, if you would have come to me earlier today, it would have been a different story, but all I've done is give mercy today. I'm tired of giving mercy. Is mercy attached to moods or emotions? Is it attached to circumstances or situations? Are, are there some situations that, you know what? Yes, uh, that was purely a mistake, so I get it. I mean, that was a hard situation, so mercy there. But no, you knew better. Like, where does the line of mercy come, come into play? And the word that Mary is using could actually better be translated in regards to mercy, covenant loyalty. I love that. That he gives us mercy because he told us he would. He gives us mercy not because he feels like it, not because it's an emotion, not because it's a mood that he's in, not because we deserve it and we're cute enough. He gives us mercy because he is loyal to you. He is committed to you. I, I love this phrase that God is decidedly committed to you and to me. Decidedly committed to us. And because of that, he gives mercy. Unconditional mercy. Just like he gives unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness. That's the kind of mercy she's talking about. So we need to slow down and thank God for his never-ending mercy. We cannot run out of mercy because he will never run out and cease of giving it. Now, you'll notice that she adds a tag to all who fear him. Yes, we have to be in a relationship with God. Now, the idea of fear him, we won't talk a ton about this, but just real quick, it's not like, ah, scared, and it's not terrified. The idea of fearing God is being in awe of who he is. It's a way of being reverent, of trusting in him putting your hope and your faith in him and we will find never ending mercy. So we thank God for his mercy. Next part she goes into, verse 51, she writes, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. She gives a lot more specifics, almost like a list going into this back, the, the last part of it, but focus on that first line in verse 51. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. So she's using some imagery here. Obviously, it's not literal. God doesn't literally have a mighty arm. That is to be a metaphor symbol of strength. And not only strength, 
but active strength. You use your strength to be involved. So basically what Mary is saying is, God, thank you. I praise you for being active and involved in my life and in my world. God is not distant. He is not absent. He is not disengaged. He is the opposite. He is involved and engaged. And that's where the rest of this list comes into play. Look at how he's been working. He scattered the proud. He's brought down princes. He's exalted the humble. He's filled the hunger. Like this is God's activity. So that strong arm is not for a selfish purpose. He does that because he's involved in our lives and he's involved in our world. Now you'll notice the list that the small list that Mary gives here is 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 pointing to, it's kind of depicting and giving a glimpse of what we would call the kingdom of God. We said earlier, like the people of God live differently than the rest of the world. So God's kingdom operates differently than the kingdom of the world. And he is making that happen. Exalting the humble. That's not something that normally happens in our world, right? It's the self-promoters. But in the kingdom of God, no, it's the, the humble will be exalted and the proud will be humbled. So what we see is not just God's activity for activity's sake, we see him bringing heaven to earth in some sense. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if that sounds familiar. We see the activity and the involvement of God beginning to do that. He is active in our world. That strong arm, when I am powerless, when I am powerless, he is powerful. What I can't, He can. What's out of my control is in his control and he is active. What I would say here is that we thank God for him being dependable. We can rely on him. So if we can slow down and even in the midst of all the mess and all the the issues we're going to deal with maybe this week and going into the new year, can we pause and slow down long enough to say, but God, you're moving and God, you're working and God, you are active and I can rely on you and I can depend on you. When everything else seems like it's falling apart, when everything else is all tangled in a mess, I'm going to trust and depend on you because he's at work. We say this phrase a lot around here that God's not done yet. He has started a work in you. He's been working in our world and he does not give up and he is not done yet. God's not done yet. He is dependable. He is reliable because he is at work. So we thank him for being dependable. Very last section. Here's how Mary ends her song of praise. She said, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made this promise, keyword there, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Now she's focusing on the promise. The promise that was given way back here, that God would send his son, a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior. And God's people had to wait a long time, but God made good on his promise. The Christmas story is really just that. The Christmas story is proof that God keeps his promises. What he said he will do. Probably not in our time frame. We've talked about that a bunch. Definitely not in our time frame. But God keeps his promises. And that's what she's highlighting. That's what she's praising God for. So let's do the same thing. Let's pause long enough this week to thank God for keeping his promises. As you study scriptures, you go through scripture, you're going to see a lot of promises. Make sure you're reading them in context. Some of those promises were, were for Israel or were for specifically Joshua But some of those promises we can still hold on to. And when we hold on to the promises of God, that gives us hope. Because he keeps his promises. So now what do we do with that? Right, I mentioned the 
this week gets a little crazy. There's a lot of messes that'll have to be, you know, tried to untangle this next week, and it gets nuts, and I get all that. So what do we do to slow down this week? How can we do what, follow Mary's example, how do we do what she did and just slow down long enough to be grateful? Here's what I'm going to do, and I would love for you to join me in this. No pressure either way. I think it'll be helpful, uh, but this is what I'm going to do for my own personal sanity and to grow in my faith, and maybe this is helpful for you, and maybe we can do this as a church. There are six specific aspects of Mary's prayer or her song that she is thankful for. We just went through those. So between now and next week, what if we took a day to be thankful specifically for one of those? So maybe it'll look like this. Monday through Saturday, six days leading up to Christmas Eve, maybe we can pause and slow down just long enough to have that posture that Mary had of gratitude. To not be so busy and to not be so overwhelmed and not be so stressed and not be so bombarded, even with some of the good things, but also some of the hard things that we lose our gratitude. Like I said, in the middle of the messes, in the middle of the stresses, thankfulness is one of the first things to go and to be forgotten, which tells me this week, it's gonna be difficult to be thankful. So Monday, what if tomorrow, we just thanked God for saving us? That we, we remembered the entire purpose of Jesus coming, the entire purpose of the Christmas story was not to be born, but ultimately to die and then come back to life. Can we thank him for being our savior throughout your entire day tomorrow? What if that was just your prayer? God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming to be with us to save me. What if on Tuesday we thanked God for knowing us? God, I'm on your mind. You're constantly thinking of me. What if we just paused throughout our day and said, God, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for noticing me. I'm a nobody according to the world standards, but according to the standards of God, you are important enough for him to think about you and notice you. Let's thank him for it. What if on Wednesday we thank God for his goodness? Remember that goodness comes from his power, his ability to do the right thing, but also his holiness and his perfection. And the result is, he does good for us and in our lives. Requires trust. His version of good, not always our version of good. We want good on our terms, but can we trust his perfection, his holiness, and his power? Thank God for his goodness on Wednesday. What if on Thursday we thank God for his never-ending mercy? That his mercy is not based on his mood. His mercy is not based on his emotions. His mercy is definitely not based off of you and me and how cute we are that day. We cannot run out of that mercy. We cannot ask for too much mercy. What if we thanked God for his never-ending, unconditional, covenant, loyalty-type mercy? Friday, what if we thanked God for being dependable, that we live in a messy world, our lives are tangled, our relationships get tangled and messy. Life is a mess. But can we thank him for being dependable, for having that strong arm that is active in our lives, not leaving us to figure it out on our own, but involved, engaged, active, moving, working. 
Can we thank him for not being done yet? That he who began a good work in us will continue to work in us until it is complete. He's not done with you and he is most certainly not gonna give up on you. So can you thank him for him being dependable and reliable and trustworthy? Because he's not done yet. Lastly, by the time we get to Saturday, can we thank God for keeping his promises? That as we get ready for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we would first and foremost remember that the Christmas season is proof that he keeps his promises. And that would be the focus. And that would be where our minds and our hearts go first, is thank you for keeping your promises. As we maybe kick off this week of thankfulness going into the Christmas, the last week until Christmas, we wanna do those together as well. Communion is an opportunity for believers to come together. We kind of say the phrase, to come to the table together and to be thankful for who he is and what he's done. When you walked in this morning, you should have gotten communion. If not, <clears throat> if you'll just raise your hand, our team will walk around. They'll get to you in just a second. But communion, we say a lot around here, is an opportunity for us as believers to come together, to look back, to look around, and to look ahead. We look back and we thank God for loving us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live, but also to die, and then to come back to life. We look back and we thank him for what he has done. We look around, we recognize that we are part of a spiritual family together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, God so loved you and God so loved me, but he also so loved us and the world. So we recognize that we are not alone in this. We are part of this family together. And we look forward, we look ahead. The hope that we've been given to live in eternity with our Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have the hope of living in eternity with him. So we're gonna take communion together to look back, to look around, and to look ahead, to thank him for coming to be among us, but also for coming to die for us. Because you can't tell the Christmas story without talking about the Easter story. You can't talk about his birth without talking about his death and the cross and the resurrection. Because without the cross, it's just another birth announcement. But because of Jesus being born, living the perfect life, fully God and fully man, sacrificing himself on the cross, taking our sins as far as the east is from the west and coming back to life. He has given us freedom and life, joy, peace, and hope. So if you'll take the cracker, remembering that Jesus died for our sins, going to the cross, cross taking your place, for the wages of sin is death and he took our place. We take the cracker that represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. Take this in remembrance of him. If you'll take the juice that represents Jesus' blood that was poured for us, his death that gives us the hope of life. As you drink, do this in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for loving us, for seeing us, for knowing us, for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to be with us. Thank you for the cross that gives us the hope of eternal life, that gives us hope in this life. Thank you for the joy and the peace that comes from following you. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you do for us and all that you give us. May we not forget this week. In the midst of the busyness and all the chaos and all the messes, may we slow down enough. Holy Spirit, help us to slow down enough to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.